what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am the co-founder and co-director of the Foot Candle Film Society and our annual Foot Candle Film Festival, uh, which we just completed our sixth festival uh, just a few days ago. So we'll be talking about that later in the show. But also with me, Chris Fry, also co-director, co-founder of the same aforementioned organizations. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I am happy that I was somehow able to fit in watching two films in between the festival going on and that we have reviews of those films today. We did have quite the, uh, we, we had a great festival. I'll just go ahead and say it was, a, it was yeah. a really wonderful film festival. It was a completely online festival, our first time ever pulling that off. And we had 31 films, actually 32 films we showed during the festival weekend. I uh, had a great time, but yes, it's always the same after festival week. We uh, normally have a little bit of a detox from movies, <laughs> but we did, like Chris say, find time to squeeze in two that we're going to be discussing in this week's show. Uh, so Chris, we uh, this is for Kindle Films. We, we get together, we talk about some new films that have come out, give some reviews, give our feedback. We also cover some news of maybe some uh, film projects that are coming out soon. We'll review a couple trailers of some films that are coming out soon and kind of do a little predictions on what we think the films, uh, how, how well it's going to do. And then we also have our ending the show with our recommendation of the episode. That is where Chris and I both recommend a film that we think is worth checking out or maybe revisiting or might be something you've just forgotten about. And we want to make sure you have some opportunities of things to look at uh, during any time you may have coming up soon. So, Chris, we have a lot to cover, as always, with our show, a jam-packed agenda. So why do you say we just go ahead and get right into our first review? Let's do it. We're going to be reviewing the film Enola Holmes, which is directed by Harry Bradbeer and based on the book, The Case of the Missing Marquise, an Enola Holmes mystery by Nancy Springer. Now, where to begin? My mother named me Enola which backwards spells alone. And yet, we were always together. And it was wonderful. She was my whole world. Which leads me on to the second thing you need to know. A week ago, I awoke. Mother? To find that my mother was missing, and she did not return. I'm presently on the way to collect my brothers, Mycroft and Sherlock. Yes, Sherlock Holmes, the famous detective, my genius brother. He will have all the answers. Enola. Where's your hat and your gloves? Well, I have a hat. Just makes my head itch. And I have no gloves. My God. A wild woman brought up a wild child. Who will make her acceptable for society? She seems intelligent. There are two paths you can take, Enola. Yours, or the path others choose for you. It is time to find my mother. The game is afoot. The film Enola Holmes, starring Millie Bobby Brown as the titular character Enola Holmes, 
Uh, she is Sherlock Holmes, teen sister, discovers that her mother is missing and she sets off to find her in the process, becoming a super sleuth of her own, outwitting her famous brother and even unraveling a dangerous conspiracy around a mysterious young Lord that she meets along the way. This is a film that went straight to Netflix and is available for all Netflix subscribers. Um, and as I mentioned at the uh, upfront, it is based on a book, The Case of the Missing Marquise, an Enola Holmes mystery by Nancy Springer. We have Millie Bobby Brown again as Enola. We have Henry Cavill as Sherlock Holmes and Helena, Helena Bonham Carter as Eudoria Holmes, who is her mother. Chris, I was really excited when I actually heard this film project was announced a while back. And then, you know, just like they are with these online films, you hear about it and lo and behold, two or three months later, it's now available online. So we didn't really have sure. a long waiting period. And I was excited because uh, for a couple of reasons, one, I, uh, the, the tone and the style of the film looked really interesting to me and just the quick little trailer preview we saw. And I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan. I like the different iterations of the Sherlock Holmes character. So now you tell me there's going to be a version where we're going to have a whole nother Sherlock Holmes, but we're really focusing on his little sister. Again, it's got all the mechanics of me saying, hey, this this sounds like this could be a really fun time. I, I'm looking forward to this. I've been kind of missing the BBC Sherlock for mm-hmm. quite a while with sure. Benedict Cumberbatch. That was a show I really enjoyed. And it's just, you know, they're so far between doing episodes that it feels like it's just been years since I've seen that. So I'll, I'll take whatever I can get. So with this, Chris, let me just toss it over to you. I'm already a captive audience. I'm ready for this film to be enjoyable. I'm looking forward to this film. Uh, tell me, can tell me kind of what, what you walked away with the film. Did you find it to be an enjoyable experience or, or not? Um, I, you know, probably somewhere in between the two extremes. Um, I, I've just found it to be okay. Um, the, I think the main reason for that was, you know, I was interested in it by the trailer because like you said, I'd seen the trailer and lo and behold, the movie came out. It's like, great. It's, you know, I can watch it from the comfort of my couch, you know, great. Um, the opening, the pacing and the puzzles and the fourth wall breaking that happened within the first 20 minutes or so, I found really engaging and found it, yeah, it, it was, it was engaging and kept me interested about the time Anola runs into the Marquise, which then that whole plot line gets going. I felt like it kind of started to sag and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's based on a young adult book and obviously it was written to appeal maybe to more to younger women because it is Anola home. So it's from that perspective, you know, the female perspective. Um, but it just kind of got dragged down to me and a little bit of the, you know, young adult romance type thing where I was wanting more of the fast paced puzzling type thing. Um, and I got that in the first 20 minutes and then it kind of picks up in the latter back end of the film a little bit. Uh, but I, I ended up being a little underwhelmed. Hmm. I um I, I'm I'm somewhere in the middle too. I, I'm a little I'm higher than you though. Okay. I, I did find this to be pretty enjoyable. I share your sentiments about. It. I do feel like the film is too long. I do feel like it does sag a lot in that middle section. I did find myself kind of wanting it to get back into that same breezy, enjoyable pace that I think that first twenty thirty minutes really really knows how to use. Um, but I, I came away liking it. It sounds like better than you mainly because of Millie Bobby Brown. I, I do think she, she's an actress, I think has been a fine actress. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's two or three projects I've seen her in 
you know, obviously the stranger things is kind of the big one that she got really known for. And I've always thought she was good in those here. She, I think she's really, she's got her, her neck down. She knows how to play this character. Sure. She's got the comedic timing. She's got the energy. She's just got the overall charm too, for this role. So she made the work, the film work for me. I I think if it had been anybody lesser in that role, I think this could have been a, a much more difficult watch. Um, so I'm going to give it high praise just because I think her performance really won me over. I really enjoyed the time with her. Um, her her acting plus the the pace and the tone of the film in that first 20, 30 minutes totally worked. And I wish it could have been a whole hour and a half of that. It did, it did lose me to some degree, as you said, midway through. But um, overall, I thought the story was great. I, I liked the way Sherlock Holmes was a character, but not, you know, we didn't keep having to rely on him. He was kind of that tertiary character that was having some impact on what was going on, but it really was all about Enola, which is what I wanted to see. So, which that could have been a crutch, you know, Mm -hmm. because obviously everybody's interested in Sherlock Holmes. Everybody already knows about him. The movie is called Enola Holmes, but as a crutch, they could have relied on him being a lot more integral to the story, but instead, no, they let it be her story. And I agree that, that was nice that they they let that happen. The supporting cast, you mentioned Henry Cavill and Helena Bonham Carter. Also, Sam Claflin playing um, Mycroft, Mycroft, I thought mm-hmm. was was really awesome. Mm-hmm. Granted, it was a little bit of a cliff notes because I kind of knew that relationship from the Sherlock television series that you already mentioned. I kind of knew that they were brothers and kind of their mm-hmm. back and forth relationship. But it, I, I, I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I think in addition to kind of what we talked about the how it kind of sagged a little bit what didn't help was the um unfortunately was the fellow who played the marquise tewksbury he just to me which granted maybe his role was to be kind of one-dimensional kind of a foppish you know like oh i don't really know what's going on type of character but he was so flat and so uninteresting to me that that really weighed down that middle section plus we can get some more responses from what you thought about the overall plot details, but there were two basic mysteries. One was what was the deal with this Marquise? And the other one was what's up with the disappearance of Helena Bonham Carter's character, um, Eudora Holmes, Holmes or Eudoria Holmes. So, and I felt like neither one of those really resolved for me, especially the disappearance of Eudoria Holmes resolved satisfactorily. Yeah. Actually, it was really, it was kind of a groaner for me how that arc of the mom's disappearance resolved, mm-hmm. but additional thoughts on your, your- um, I'm with you on that. I do think it was a little bit of a letdown. I think the, the film obviously decided to change focus and the story and to focus on the marquees and, and, and what his situation was. And it had a lot more political implications and had, you know, uh, obviously somebody trying to, kill him. Obviously there's things that make that a more propelling story where the mother does kind of get lost after about, you know, 45 minutes, you kind of forget that, that Enola is even supposed to be looking for her. And she's you know? such an, the mom is such an interesting character. Yeah. So when she drops out, it's like, well, there goes. That I will say though, on the mom subplot, the thing that did work for me is there were a lot of moments throughout the film where the mother played a role through flashbacks or mm-hmm. through cutaways. And those were all extremely effective for me. I think even really touching towards the end, there were some that were just really, you know, it, the mother became a 
more of a spiritual force than a physical one. And I think she was still very, very strong in that role. Yes, the ending, uh, not what I wanted from that subplot, not what, what I wanted from that storyline, but um, I felt like I felt like all the energy shifted to making a bigger climax for the other story. And then that left the mother story to have a very kind of a, a went out with a whimper. And yeah. um, so... I, I agree with you there. I think that the story could have been tidied up a little bit. I, I did like there being two competing stories because even Enola kind of had fun with that and giving her narration. I was like, okay, so my plan has now changed. I'm, I'm taking this step and it's no longer this. I'm now applying it to this mystery. And I'm like, okay, cool. I like following along with where, where your head is main character, because that's who we're going to follow. And she would communicate that through directly breaking the fourth wall yeah. and addressing the camera, yeah. which I thought was going to get tiresome, but it actually never <laughs> did. I actually, I found it even just as enjoyable towards the end and mainly because Millie Bobby Brown was so good in this role. So yeah, I, I've always liked her. Okay. You know, yeah. um, but this film really made her stand out as like, wow, she really is kind of a force. Cause in stranger things, you know, she starts off, you know, she's kind of a background character and she gets more important as that series went on. The Godzilla movie, she basically just yeah. she was just there as window dressing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but with this film, obviously she's the title character. She really gets a chance to kind of grow and show a lot of different um, person, just show a lot of different skills and personality. And I, yeah, I I really enjoyed it, and she does ultimately. She is the winning thing about the film. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I definitely think the film is worth watching for her performance. I mean, if I was going to recommend it to somebody else, it's going to be, yeah, you got to see. I mean. She's really good, and she's a fun character and someone you kind of want to follow more. I mean, if this if this became a springboard for other films and that kind of became her character, I'm totally okay with that. I think that's that's a good direction for them to go. Um, Henry Cavill as uh, Sherlock Holmes I thought was also good. Sure. I like him. I think he's a good actor, and I think he he – he played the stoic Sherlock that I think uh, the books really kind of made that character out to be, but also someone who could easily get into a, a fist fight with no problem. And, you know, that's good too. That's something I'll go back to on Enola, the character and Millie Bobby Brown playing her, the physicality of the role too. I mean, I know there's stunt t- doubles involved and all, but sure. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot more fist fighting and action than I would have expected from a film like this, looking at it from the outside in. And I, I think the film handled those moments really well. And I think Millie Bobby Brown showing the physicality yeah, worked really well, too. So overall, all that kind of clicked for me. So that was enjoyable. And I did always like Helena Bonham Carter as Eudoria. I mean, her moments, granted, not as many, and they are shorter in tone, and they're a lot more flashback than, than present day. But always really good and always fun. So I kind of look forward to those moments throughout the film whenever they could squeeze those in. The, the costumes and like, you know, some of the sets, some were digital, some may have been practical. And then just like the houses they showed, that's all for people that like that kind of stuff. This was just full of that, a lot of eye candy to watch. So that's also something that stood out to me, like production value, pretty, pretty yeah. high on this. The, uh, the, the, the virtual sets at times and digital backgrounds were, could have been a little better. I don't know if it was just more, more of a time budget thing mm-hmm. or something. I, I felt like they were a little distracting at times when they would show big landscapes and they just seemed very computer animated very clearly. And, and it was a little distracting in some of those moments to think how much of the film was really shot in a location versus not. And, uh, you know, but I get it. I mean, certainly, you know, you have to do what you got to do to make the, the film work. And sometimes the budgets and the way to do it and digital is so easy to do, but I did notice a little bit more in this film than I expected to. 
See, um, and something about, yeah, I mean, I noticed it, something about it, though, I guess, because it's something that I know they can't achieve, like, you know, that period in England. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's either going to be a set that you can't show a lot of, or it's going to be digital, as opposed to what bothered me, Grand, kind of hearkening back to a previous review, but of Greyhound with Tom Hanks, where there were all these yeah. ships on the sea. The digital stuff on that really bothered me. Grant, I know you can't have a big war going on in the middle of the ocean, but you can have realistic waves or you can have it. And something about the fakeness of that bothered me a little bit more than the fakeness here. And maybe yeah. it's just, you know, personal preference. Yeah, but. right, right. But overall, I, I'm, I'm giving the film a, a positive review because I did have a good time with it. I, I hear your, your issues with it, and I agree with those. I think the character playing the Marquise was probably the – least effective performance we saw in the film. And I do feel like the film got a little slow. I really think, you know, it was right at two hours. It, it should have been an hour 40. I think you could have really trimmed out a lot of fat in the middle and made it keep up that same really enjoyable speed and pace that we saw early on. Yeah. I mean, the first 20 minutes I'm, I'm saying, well, I'm really digging this. Like they're, they're they're nailing the tone. They're nailing the style. Everything's great. And then, like you said, it just kind of, Kind of hit some moments in the story where it tried to slow down and tried to hint at more romance and other teen relationships, which I just don't think really worked. And um, it did slow the film down a little bit. So I'm with you on that. Well, that is Enola Holmes. That is, uh, again, directed by Harry Bradbeer, available on Netflix. Uh, This is a film that I think they were hoping to have a bigger release with, but... uh, you know, given the situation, releasing on Netflix, I think it's a good it's a good format for Netflix. Netflix is a good platform for this film to be on, and uh, you know, Millie Bobby Brown. I think is it the first film she's carried like as the lead. I believe so, and I'll say you know, despite my misgivings and the fact I'm less favorable than you are, but I still thought it was an okay film. You know, which there have been people. I think I've already seen things pop up on social media. You know, talks about a sequel. Yeah, if they made a sequel to this, I'd totally watch it just because of Millie Bobby Brown. And the yeah. first one was enjoyable enough. Yeah. So. Okay, good. So we're, we're positive on it. Sure. You know, Chris is maybe a little more, I'll say, lukewarm positive. But uh, I, I, I'm a little higher on, on the scale just because I did have a really fun time with it. thought it was great. It's nice to see a film that doesn't take itself too, too terribly seriously. Sure. Knows what it is, is going to have fun with it. And decides to stick with its conceit, the whole addressing the audience and breaking the fourth wall. It didn't let up, which was good because sometimes you see films where they bring out that idea and they just kind of forget about it and just move on with the film. So it was nice. I I think overall it worked for me uh, and very, very enjoyable. All right. We're going to move on to our second review, which is a very different type of film. We're going to be talking about the film Antebellum. Guess what? Daddy is going to get you dressed for school today. We are descendants of the gods. This land was always ours. But we must never relent. We're nowhere and everywhere. You're from Virginia, right? I can tell. You're special. We are the future. You. You're not like the others. I'm coming! 
you were before. That's over. What are we doing? What is the plan? The poster for Antebellum touts from the producer of Get Out and Us. Janelle Monet's name is prominently displayed below an image of the actress's face. This is all I knew about the film going in, except that this drama slash horror slash mystery film, as IMDb labels it, was rather divisive among critics. Alan, how much did you know going in and how was your experience with the film? Um, going in, I knew a little bit only because I did see the first trailer that the film released. And I, I kind of feel like Chris, we might've mentioned it in the show. I need to go back to our notes and see our if I brought it up. Let us know. I we know. I intern dropped the ball and did not <laughs> let us know. I, I'm pretty sure I brought it up. It was an early trailer and the trailer was very vague and a little trippy and a little, uh, making you think you're in for kind of a mind-bending, time-altering type of thing. So uh, that's all I knew. And I knew it had something to do with more the antebellum period, you know, sure. kind of time period. The South and, and slavery. Yes. And so I knew that. And I knew Janelle Monáe was in it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's what I knew going in. So I was still going into this relatively blind, I guess, story-wise. So I had no idea what the story was going to be about. Sure. If that's anything there. Um, and what was your other question? Well, and... Did so you have another how much question? Did you know going in, and what was your experience with the what film was my overall? experience? Yeah. I know, like you said, this is a film that seem have gotten some pretty bad responses, negative responses from a lot of people. And I don't know if it was the negative responses were really because people had one expectation and then went in, and it turned out to be a very different type of film. I will say, I kind of expected this to be one type of film, and it turned out to be a completely different type of film. But for what it was, I kind of liked it. So you're going to be the reviewer good guy or a good cop, and I'm going to be the bad cop on this episode. If I was just lukewarm (laughs) on Enola Holmes, I pretty much hated Antebellum. Okay. All right. Let's talk about this. Because I I actually kind of came out of this saying, like, all right, yes, it's, it's flawed. And yes, oh, it is it's not flawed. at all what I ex- was expecting, but you know, and, and I knew what was going on about seven minutes into this film. I could pretty much write the rest of the script. Yes, I get all that, but all right. I want to, I want to hear some stuff. Maybe you'll change my mind. I, I, I came out of this overall saying, eh, wasn't bad, but that's not like a ringing endorsement for it, but you know, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's. And we're in, we're going to do this without spoiling. We can right. we can talk without spoiling stuff. But so there, yeah, tell me some stuff tell that, me the issues. There's uh, stuff Chris. that you know the movie is called Antebellum, and there's stuff that um, is set at a plantation with slavery things going on, and then there's some modern day stuff. Um, so you have those kind of aspects. Um, some similar characters in both. Correct. So kind of a little bit of different correct. things going on so with you, different settings. Yeah, I'll yeah. just for lack of better shorthand, I'll basically say thirds, even though it's not exactly thirds, mm-hmm. but. Um, the first third of this movie I felt like was overlong. Mm-hmm. Um, it does introduce you to a lot of important characters and stuff, but it just seemed to enjoy the um, grotesque nature and the brutal nature of slavery and things mm-hmm. that go on, which, you know, 
accurate depictions. That's important to show in cinema and to show that slavery was this really horrible thing. But it didn't seem to have much behind its mind and kind of taking on a little bit of the horror moniker because of that. If for no other reason, there wasn't any substance behind it just to do it for shock's sake and to get an R rating, which it did achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, The second portion of the film, when we got to that portion, I kind of felt like I didn't know seven minutes in. I was a little confused, actually, with that first third even, and I thought it was over long, especially when we got to that second third, I was like, okay, now I get what's going on here. The film had kind of revealed itself to me. And not only did I feel like the first part was over long, but then the second part I felt like was kind of poorly written and kind of rushed. And then that led to the third part and wrapping up the film. I felt like that was kind of ridiculous and rushed as well. So it's odd, even though the part that I air quotes, which you can't see, this is a podcast liked the most, was that first portion that I've already criticized as being over long. I felt like it worked the best of the other two thirds of the film. If that makes sense. The first yeah. part, even though I thought it was too long, I felt like it worked the best. Um, Janelle Monet though, praise for her. I like her as an actress and I thought she was good as one of the central characters of the film. I mean, it kind of, she's on the poster. Her name's the only one on the big poster in big letters. She kind of carries it. Um, from a movie perspective, from watching, you know, cinematography and stuff, there's an opening shot that mm-hmm. kind of establishes, you know, some things on the plantation. I thought that was interesting and mm-hmm. it kind of did kind of, I was like, Oh, okay. Wasn't expecting that to happen. And it is mirrored a little bit in another shot towards the conclusion of the film, um, with a character riding on horseback and all these explosions going on. And I thought that was an interesting look mm-hmm. as well. Um, so there, you know, there yeah. are some things that I can say about I like that I like about the film, um, the score, which you'll hear a little bit of in the trailer. There's this like you know cello and violins going. I also appreciate that, but you know I've said things that I appreciate. It. There's a lot, obviously, that I don't. What's what are what's your some of your takes on that? Um, I don't know. I I, I again, it, it's tough for me. Maybe I just felt like this film. I, I I didn't like that it was. It just seemed to be getting dumped on so quickly by other people. I'm mm. like, maybe I felt a little bad for it. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But you know, I kind of watched the film. And I I think I gave it a lot of passes. You know, I just I thought the acting was pretty weak actually throughout most even, all of the even film. Even Janelle Monae. Even a little bit, which I wow. like her a lot. I mean, okay. I thought she was excellent in Moonlight and then Hidden, Hidden Figures. Figures sure. and all. Here, I I I felt like everything was just overscripted. There's like some scenes in the uh, quote modern day period of the film where she's with her girlfriend and that all that just seemed to be so overwritten and so clumsily performed. So here we are and, and you've actually reversed the good cop, bad cop. I mean, although I uh, guarantee I'm more negative on the film. No, no, you, you are. are. I'm, I'm picking out, the, I'm saying that there are definitely some issues But with the modern day thing. I really am, am was pleased to see, uh, how do you say it? Gabori Sidibe, mm-hmm. who was yeah. originally in Precious. I had not, she'd kind of dropped off my radar. I hadn't seen her in a really long time. I was really happy to see her again. You're kind of yeah. saying maybe not so much. Well, I just, I thought she was one of the ones guilty of just, it was, it was just too much acting. It mm. was, it was, you know, I, I never bought for a second that they were having natural conversations between mm. the girlfriends there. Um, but again, I, I will say I did like the opening shots and the closing shots as well. The opening shot for me, Chris, kind of started to clue me in what was going on already. 
I hmm. mean, there is a there is a scene uh, again. I'm going to be very non spoiler here, but there's sure. a character that's introduced pretty early on, in a, a new character in this in this in this scene in this environment that right away the dialogue with that new character played by Kersey Clemens. Right away, I'm like, okay, yeah, I totally know what's going on. That's never a good sign for a film is that, you know, if, if you're trying to build this around a mystery that it becomes kind of telegraphed, I feel like so early on, but, um, but I like the story concept. I did like what the story was telling. I like the story it decided to tell. Um, again, I can't go into spoilers, but the whole premise of the film, when you, when you step back and look at what it is, it was saying, yeah, I was in, I, I enjoyed it. I just I did have some misgivings about some of the acting and I did have misgivings about the fact that I felt like it was tipped off way way too early too easily and that that so hurt the early, enjoyment even a earlier bit. for you than me apparently cause oh yeah maybe it took me a little longer but. no really as soon as yeah I, I can't go into more detail as soon as they, they, that character I talked about enters the scene in a little bit of dialogue that's had between them and the Janelle Monet character Veronica. I'm like, okay, yeah, I totally know what's going on. Hmm. And that was disappointing. You could have built out a mystery a lot better. And if, if that's what you're really going for in this film is a big mystery and a big reveal, sure. I think it was a little sloppy in how it handled that for sure. Um, there is a shot, I will say, if I did not figure it out earlier, <laughs> sure, there is a shot about two-thirds of the way through the film um, again, I'm just trying to think how to describe it without, you know, there is a shot, uh, you know how I've mentioned a couple shots in recent films that I thought were really interesting using cell phones. Cause there was a shot. What was a film we talked about the last episode where there was like a really cool reveal or shot that involved a cell phone ringing, uh, we, it was actually a film from our film festival, the Arbors, I think is maybe what you're thinking. of. Yes. The Arbors. You're right. That is one. And then there's also the film, um, that was the horror film that we reviewed about the, uh, the whole group going to a cabin and renting a cabin, uh, the rental, the rental, both of those films, kind of horror related films used a revelation of where a cell phone is to some nice effect. I think this one also has a shot like that that I feel like was a nice touch when it, when that was meant to be kind of a revealing shot it, it, and it would have been if I hadn't already been telegraphed earlier on kind of what I felt like was going on. So mm-hmm. anyway, I'm very critical when it comes to twist movies. Sure. Okay. I mean, I feel like that's a really tough, uh, tough thing to balance. How much do you give away early on? Uh, when the twist happens, does it make sense? Does it work? Does it land its impact? Um, and this movie could have really sharpened its edges on that a lot more. I feel like than it did, but I, again, I'm going to give it a, a, a overall generally I'm okay with the film because I did like the overall concept. I like the overall messaging of what it's kind of being said from the film. Um, <laughs> Jenna Mar- Malone, we didn't mention her yet playing yeah. Elizabeth and uh, a very kind of cryptic character throughout the film. Um, She's hamming it up and she's having fun with that role. And I, I'm, a, I'm, in, I'm into it. I'm like, go for it. This is uh it was very, very over the top and it worked for the film. I felt like, so I was okay with that too. 
I'm very, yeah, I, I, I'm hearing myself talk about this film and I have, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably saying more negative than I am positive. Overall, I came away from the film feeling like eh, that wasn't that bad. I don't understand all the, the hate the film's getting from a lot of critics, me personally. But. Yeah, I, I wanted to like it a lot more than I did. And I will say if you're listening to this and you don't know much about the film and you're still interested in yeah. seeing it. Go in as cold as you can. Well, even the little clip of the trailer we just played, that's all you should should, should experience. Right. Don't even watch the whole trailer no. because I'm shocked at how much the trailer tries to tip its hand on things. And, right. uh, you know, the film is trying really hard to continue what's happening, Get Out and Us and other films recently. And I do like where this genre is going. I really like these style of films where it's like, let's tackle some really big social issues, but do it in a more horror thriller mystery type of format. I love it. Right. I I want more of these films to come out and I especially love it from African-American directors and African-American actors to kind of telling the stories uh, that really reflect more from their viewpoints of what they've seen. I love it. I I want more. Just this one was definitely of those three I mentioned the far weakest of them, but um, I still had, think I had just enough going on to make it to where I would, I'm going to give it a pass. Okay. I will not, I will give it a fail. <laughs> so I'm going slightly pass. I mean, if you say passing is like what D and above, Ooh. I'm giving it like a C minus. Okay. So it's like, it's, it's not great, but it did get by for me. You're, you're giving it an F. Pretty much. Okay. Maybe a, maybe a, a D plus. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's the problem. Once you drop into the fail category, there's no F pluses or yeah, F minuses true. or yeah. Gs. I mean, you pretty much, once you hit the fail category, it is a fail. <laughs> it, it is. Um, all right. Well, that's interesting. I was really curious to see what our takes were going to be on this film. Um, your text messages before me watching the film, after you had seen it. Mm-hmm led me to either believe that you absolutely loved this film and you believed I was going to hate it. <laughs> or now I see in hindsight, it was quite the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> okay. Well, that is Antebellum. It is directed by Gerald Bush and Christopher Renz. We didn't mention them, but I think uh, from what I've read up, they are a kind of a directing partnership that have done a lot of stylish videos and different types of video work before. So I believe their first real feature film that they've yes. worked on with this. I believe so. Um, starring Janelle Monet, it is available online. It is not on a streaming service. It is on Apple, uh, Amazon, all the places where you can rent the films these days. Okay. So, Chris, we're going to take a quick little break since we just finished our two main reviews of Antebellum and of Enola Holmes. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about our Foot Candle Film Festival that just wrapped up, a little recap on that. And then we've got a couple of news items and trailers that we want to talk about and share with you about some upcoming film projects that we're curious about. So, uh, And then, of course, closing out the show with our recommendation of the episode, a film pick from each of us. So stay tuned. We'll be right back to Foot Candle Films here in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TV. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you here again. In the first half of the show, we had our reviews of the latest films, Enola Holmes and Antebellum. 
Uh, both of us positive on Enola Holmes, me more so than Chris, but still positive. Uh, Antebellum, not not quite as uh, close together. Chris, <laughs> not a big fan of the film, gave it a fail. I gave it a I gave it a C, C minus maybe. It passed, but not by a lot for me. I still had a, a decent, enjoyable time with the film. Okay, so let's move on, Chris. Uh, we kind of mentioned at the top of the show that we just finished up our Foot Candle Film Festival uh, for 2020 just a few days ago. It was our first ever virtual festival. So, Chris, uh, just for a visual picture here, Chris and I were spending the entire festival weekend in this recording studio um, hosting live Q&As on Zoom with filmmakers from around the world. And it was great. But it was, you know, me and Chris in a studio for you know, 72 hours. So uh, we had that to deal sure. with. Um, no offense, Chris. I enjoyed the weekend. It's just, you know, it was a lot of time in this room. It is true. Um, but we had a great film festival. It was 32 films total that we showed with uh, all but two of them, I believe, being in contention or being eligible for awards. And uh, we did name our award winners at the end of the festival weekend at our Sunday night closing ceremony. I will say if anybody is uh, wanting to see some of the post film discussions we had with any of the filmmakers, those are all up as I speak right now on a YouTube channel for Foot Candle Films. So Foot Candle Film Society has a YouTube channel. You can go and you can watch any of the uh, post film discussions as well as you can see the closing ceremony in its entirety, as well as our screenwriting competition event. So everything we recorded and did virtually is up there on the uh, YouTube channel. So we'll put a link to that and make sure people can get to it. So Chris, let's talk about the awards we gave out because there were uh, six awards that we named. Um, four of them were juried awards, meaning we had a jury selected early on and they reviewed the films and gave their winner. Then the last two awards are audience favored awards, both based solely on average ratings they gave of the film after they watched the film online. So Chris, let's talk through who the, the winners were of this year's festival. Uh, why don't you tell us one of the first ones here? Sure. So, uh, winning documentary short film, was Five by Seven by director Michele Cittoni from Italy. And it was about a man, from, actually a professor from America at the time he was a graduate student, who went to a small town in Italy and shot a lot of photography. And then basically it was just kind of forgotten about. And then people discovered the photography in this small town years, like 30, 35, 40 years later, and put on a kind of a display of the photography and invited that man now, an older man, much older man, 60s 70s to come back over and kind of talk about the whole experience and it was it was really interesting kind of heartwarming and just kind of cool to see how the town had changed from when he had originally shot those photographs so if you like photography you'll definitely dig it but uh, overall it's just a really nice little piece of uh, documentary filmmaking so that's five by seven by Michel Cittoni yeah that was great so uh, our best narrative short film was a film called The Winkles it was a film from France directed by Alice Vile. And uh, it was it's, it's a uh, really nice family family drama piece about a woman kind of coping with some uh, becoming older and having that kind of come up uh, as a realization about how she is moving on with her life and some dealing with possibly some regrets or some um, feeling like maybe she hadn't moved on as much. And part of it having to do with the relationship she has with her father and the bar that the two of them operate and run. And uh, it was a great film. We were really happy. Alice Vial was not able to join us live because she was 
uh, director had just had a new baby and is home with a sick baby. So it was nice to at least have a video message from her um, collecting the award. But that was our best narrative short film as determined by our judges. Winning our documentary feature award is Making Sweet Tea. And this was a documentary by uh, co-directors John Jackson and Nora Gross. And it focuses on E. Patrick Johnson, who's a a Southern-born, black, gay researcher and performer. He had written a book, which he had then turned into a stage, one-man stage play. And then this documentary shows him tracking down the people that he'd originally written for the book and performing for them his piece about them in his one-man show. So it was it was really uh, interesting, and it actually had a section in there that dealt with, he was actually originally from Hickory, North Carolina, which is where the film festival is based out of. So that was kind of you know interesting and special to see that. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was well received by the audience, and, and you'll hear more about that film here in just a moment. Um, but then we also had our best narrative feature length film as determined by our judges. That was a film called the miseducation of Bindu uh, directed by Prathana Mohan. And it was uh, a film about a, a young Indian girl in high school who is fighting very hard to basically give be able to get kind of opt out of school by finishing a placement test and raising the money she needs to take the test because she's so, overwhelmed by you know, bullying and just not feeling like she really fits in in the school where she is. It's comedic, but it also has some extremely touching moments. But I think it does a great job of also capturing uh, the high school environment and how difficult it must be for someone uh, from different uh, backgrounds and with different values than what the other kids in the high school are showing. So uh, The Miseducation of Bindu, a great film, and we are really happy to show it, and it did win our juried Best Narrative Feature-Length Film. Uh, Winning our audience favorite short film was the uh, narrative short Atlas, and it was directed by Masej Kowalski. And this is a story that takes place in a remote and a little bit kind of off-crazy, crazy, off-kilter psychiatric hospital which receives a very curious patient. The man doesn't move or speak, but spends his days with his hands up, semi like holding up the ceiling. Um, so it's about, and then it's it has some humor to it, but it also kind of, I don't know, it has a little bit more to it. So it's a really interesting short film, uh, Atlas. And then, as we've already mentioned, our audience favorite feature-length film was also still the film Making Sweet Tea that we mentioned as winning best narrative, uh, I'm sorry, best documentary feature-length film. Again, John L. Jackson, Nora Gross directors, and then E. Patrick Johnson as the producer and kind of the featured uh, person that we're following in the film. Uh, Again, not only did it kind of uh, win over our, our jury, but it also won over our audience. So we were really happy to have it as a dual winner this year at our festival. So... Those were the six or six awards that were given out to the five films that actually won awards this year. Five out of the 30 films that were available for for awards this year. We also had a special screening of the documentary uh, John Lewis Good Trouble that was available to all the festival attendees. And then we are also really excited to show a film called Drought. That was a film that our film society actually helped uh, provide grant money to past year. Uh, to complete a film shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, kind of on the coast of our state, uh, by two new filmmakers who had previously just been uh, in, in actors and now are writers and directors. And we're really excited to have their film with us. And it kind of kicked off the festival on our Wednesday evening. So it was uh, a lot of fun. 
And in cooperation with Lenoran University, we also did a script writing event. And I'll just mention the the winners of that. The runner-up was the fourth song by John Martin's The Third, and the winner of the script writing competition this year was the last the last blockbuster by Justin O'Neill Miller and Jeremiah Castleman. So both really interesting scripts that maybe one day will be developed into features. We we hope so. We'd love to see them as films, and then maybe they can also get some grant money to make the film whenever it does happen. So it'd be nice. Completing the circle there. there. So, yeah. Otherwise, it was a great festival. I mean, we did miss p- seeing people in person. I mean, I'm sure that's the way many festivals are right now, having to deal with that. But I think the convenience and flexibility of the online virtual cinema seem to be well received. So, uh, onward and upward, we will see what the seventh year of our Foot Candle Film Festival holds next year. Uh, but if you have any interest in submitting a film to our next year's festival, what, sometime in the month of November, Chris? Is that yes. when we think mm-hmm. submissions will be open? I encourage you to go to footcandlefilmfestival.com. We will have a notice up on the website when uh, submissions are open. And submissions will run from November through about June that you can submit your film in that six or seven month period to be considered for next year's uh, film festival. So. All right. And thank you to everybody, sponsors and attendees and everybody who helped make the festival a real success this year. We really, really do appreciate it. All right, Chris, let's jump into some news items. And I believe you have a news item or story for us to kind of talk about. These are about projects that could be on the horizon, maybe our new projects getting started or ones getting ready to come out. Just things that we find interesting and we want to share with one another. I don't know what news item you have, Chris. So tell us, tell us what's on your uh, on your docket today. Sure. So director Steven Soderbergh, uh, he had a new film that he was making called No Sudden Move. It was a period crime drama set in 1995 Detroit. Um, It had kind of started, but then because of COVID, things had stopped. Um, But they've now started back up again. Uh, The cast will star Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, John Hamm, Ray Liotta, David Harbour, Noah Jupe, and Brendan Fraser. And it's the theory or the the plot line that they've given us is kind of a group of small-time criminals are hired to steal what they think is a simple document, but then their plans go horribly wrong. So that's an upcoming film by Steven Soderbergh that is, you know, continuing production now, has a pretty great cast. So So Soderbergh's returning to the heist film with a large ensemble cast? Apparently, yes. Hmm. But I don't think this is no, no, I'm, it's not I'm, the lighthearted Oceans film. <laughs> possibly not. So maybe right. they're going for a different style in sure. with this. But uh, did, Brandon Fraser, uh, interesting to see his name on the list there. And you yeah. know, yeah, and I'd say I would have I would previously say that I hadn't heard from him in a long time, but I've been catching up with a series on HBO called Doom Patrol and he mm-hmm. plays a character on that. It's kind of a DC spin-off mm-hmm. series. But he plays a very Probably not what you would think. It's like a very foul-mouthed character, which is not what I usually associate with Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what role he has in the new Soderbergh film. New Soderbergh. So what was the last Soderbergh film that came out? Was that High Flying Birds? I believe so. Yeah. I never saw that. but uh, Okay. It's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. So about basketball. Yeah. I definitely have been meaning to catch up. It's on my watch list. I just haven't got to it yet. But uh, yeah, Soderbergh's output lately has been... uh, a little sporadic, and yeah, obviously he's he seems. I think what High Flying Birds was all shot on iPhones, if I remember I believe correctly. So, yes. yeah, so I'm curious. It doesn't mention anything about format of shooting or anything about the 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 story there, correct? Right. No, I mean, it's just characters and kind of brief brief plot description. Okay. So. No, it sounds interesting. I'm I'm 
I'm on board with anything things Soderbergh wants to try. Uh, I think is always kind of adventurous and at least trying some new things. Um, I did think it's kind of interesting. <laughs> Soderbergh's name came up quite a bit um, maybe six months ago. Uh, as unfortunately, you know, the pandemic that we're still facing when that when that really started ramping up in March and April, mm-hmm. his film Contagion was actually I don't know sure. if you remember that film when oh, it yeah. came out uh, for a while was one of the highest streamed films online. Sure. Mainly because it was really detailing kind of how a pandemic could start and break out and how it was affecting people. Right. I don't think I could watch that film now or have any desire to watch it after Probably the last not. six or seven months of kind of. All of us having to be very careful with what we're doing, um, but it's interesting to just to hear what his next project is. So. Sure. So I guess that falls into the category of sounds like it could be good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it does. I, I think anything Soderbergh does, I'm going to go ahead and say sounds like it could be good. Sure. Uh, I don't know of any clunkers he's done film wise that were just really bad. Right. So they may not all work, but there's at least something of value in everything I've seen of his. Agreed. Um, well, Chris, mine is, is I'm going to segue into our trailer tapas section because you know, this is where we like to play parts of trailers and let each other respond to it. And uh, that's also kind of me talking about a project that I'm excited about. This is a project, a, a film that is actually going to be coming out on, um, I believe, on Netflix here in just a couple of months okay, uh, or even in the next few weeks in October. And which is great because that's I, even though I, I'm desperately missed the movie theaters, I do like this idea of, oh, hey, I get told about a movie in month one and it's going to be available in month two or three. I'm like, I love that little marketing, quick, shortening the timeline to kind of pique our interest and then we get to enjoy it here in just a matter of a few weeks. Sure. This film is called The Trial of the Chicago Seven. It is written and directed by Academy Award winner Aaron Sorkin. If you recall, Aaron Sorkin uh, wrote and directed his first directed film, which was Molly's Game, a couple years ago. That was a film I was a big fan of. You caught up with it not too long ago and also really liked it, too. Mm -hmm. So um, I was really anxious to see what what Sorkin was going to do next. And it is this film. Uh, Let's go ahead and play the trailer, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit about the film and get your feedback on it. We want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. There's no place to be right now but in it. We watched for a decade while these rebels without a job tell us how to prosecute a war. They're going to spend their 30s in a federal facility, real time. People say, you know, Abby, are you concerned about an overreaction from the cops? Holy shit. You all right? No words until it's all there. Are the people ready to make opening arguments? At the defense table. Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Dave Dellinger, Rennie Davis, Lee Weiner, John Freund, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale. These defendants had a plan, and the plan was to incite a riot. I call this portion of the trial with friends like these. My trial's begun without my lawyer. The court assumes you are being represented by the Black Panther sitting behind you. The riots were started by the Chicago Police Department. Sustained. Nobody objected. Jurors 6 and 11, they're with us. Juror number 6 and juror number 11, you're dismissed from this jury. Can you tell us why? Because this is my courtroom. We've dealt with jury tampering, wiretapping, a defendant that was literally gagged. Get your hands off me! You're the first to suggest that I have discriminated against a black man. Then let the record show that I'm the second. 
And when we walked in here this morning, they were chanting that the whole world is watching. If we leave here without saying anything about why we came in the first place, it'll be heartbreaking. Well, last summer, why did you come to the convention? To end the war. We're giving them exactly what they want, a stage and an audience. Yeah, you really think there's going to be a big audience? Here I am! This is what revolution looks like, real revolution. We may have to hurt somebody's feelings. Is this prosecution politically motivated? I'm tired of hearing you. It would be impossible for me to care any less what you are tired of. Here I am! to find some courage now. How much is it worth to you? What's your price? To call off the revolution? My life. Open your eyes cause a new day is dawning. The new day is dawning. So that was the trailer for the trial of the Chicago seven. Chris, you had not seen that trailer before. Uh, any initial thoughts, any, uh, thing you're curious about with this? Um, I've, I've known of the story, you know, mm-hmm. the history behind it, uh, couldn't be more timely probably than to come out now. Um, I'm excited because, uh, Mark Rylance haven't seen him lately and he's in it apparently as one of the lawyers. That's cool to see Eddie Redmayne, from what I can tell, I think this is going to be my most favorite thing I've ever seen him in because it seems like he's always playing a character with a weird voice or quirks and things like fantastic beasts or, um, was it the theory of everything that was the, um, Stephen Hawking's documentary? I can't remember Mm -hmm. the name. So, you know, I think he's a good actor and then let's not even get into Jupiter ascending. Um, but you know, I just somehow a lot of his performances haven't really worked for me. Yeah. But this, he just seems to be playing kind of a regular person with a very thick Chicago accent. But, but, <laughs> but I, I but still think person. I still yes, think it's gonna it's gonna work for me. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm looking forward to seeing it. So. Yeah. And so it is a film about the you know, what was intended to be a peaceful protest at the 1968 Democratic National Convention turning into a violent clash with the police and national guard. sounds like the film is really being framed with the trial where you're going to be referring back to what happened with that incident. Um, no, I think it's great. And I love the cast. If you had told me, you know, Eddie Redmayne was going to be in a film with Sasha Baron Cohen and, you know, and then both of them with Mark Reliance and Joseph Gordon Levitt, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. That's a, yeah. that's an interesting mix of people, but it looks like it's going to work again. I'm in it because of Sorkin, just because I did think Molly's game worked really well for me. I've been a big fan of Sorkin's screenplays, which is traditionally what he's done a lot more of. Um, so he both wrote and directed this. Wrote and directed this film. That's right. And also, I got to mention to Yala uh, Abdul Mateen, who um, he's in that new the new version of Candyman that has been infinitely delayed. Unfortunately, sure. the horror film Candyman. But he was also in the Watchmen limited series on oh, HBO. Okay, yeah. He's playing Dr. Manhattan. That's right. Yeah, okay. He's very, very good. And he's in this film as well. So a lot of reasons to be excited. I think it's a great cast. I'm really excited for the writer director. So we will certainly see how the film comes together. The good news is we don't have to wait very long. It's October 16th on Netflix. So that's only two weeks away from us recording this right now, which is awesome. 
Chris, I believe you have a trailer to share with us as well. Yes, um, I was going to play the trailer for Minari. It is a story about a Korean-American family that searches for a better life when they move to a small, small farm in Arkansas. It actually premiered at Sundance in January of 2020, um, but because everything has not come out yet, it is being released by A24, and rumor has it that they are going to try to drop it maybe in January 2021 or maybe February, but definitely before the cutoff date for the next next Oscars because they feel like this is a strong Oscars contender. So, okay. Minari. Here we go. David, look! They're wheels! Wheels? Where are they? Where are they? We're what a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. 미국애들은 할머니랑 같이 방 쓰는 거 싫어한다던데. I don't like grandma. 걔는 안 그래요. 한국애니까. Grandma smells like Korea. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you 진짜 할머니 같지 않아요. 할머니 같은 게 뭔데? 쿠키도 만들고 나쁜 안 입고 먼저 팬티도 안 입고. We need to find water somewhere. If that soil ain't wet, you're gonna lose the crop. Yeah, I, I was not familiar with the film at all, so I was I'm excited to to, to check it out. It's great. Uh, Steven Steven uh, Steven Young starring in that. Is that correct? Oh, let's see. He's from the yes. uh, The Walking Dead. In case you're yes. uh, familiar, there he played. Uh, oh gosh, what was his character's name on The Walking I've Dead? I've never watched an episode of The Walking oh, Dead. Oh man, it'll hit me in a little bit, and I feel so bad not not knowing it. I should know it. <laughs> Anyway, it looks great. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Are you familiar with anything this director has done before? No. Um, I think it's interesting that it is being released by A24 um, because it's you – know, I, I love A24, the distribution company. I'm actually wearing a hat of theirs right now. Um, you know, they released The Farewell last year, and that got a lot of acclaim, and it was kind of a look into a culture, and this is a look into Korean culture, but it's actually being dumped into America, but it's – as you can tell from the trailer, there's a lot of subtitles and stuff. But I, I think it's just interesting how that seems to kind of be a, a strength of a lot of A24 films as they're trying to show you different aspects of different cultures. So um, an interesting release with Minari, and uh, hopefully it'll have success. I look forward to seeing it. It looks 
like a beautifully shot film. Yeah, from yeah what it I really, can tell. really does. Do you know if it's gonna if it's just going to video on demand or? I have, think one of the reasons for the they're trying to delay the release is they are going to try to have it in theaters okay. first. So um, right. it'll probably be. I think I heard like you know fe- January February. Maybe. Okay. All right. Good. Well, we will certainly keep our eye on that and see when that comes about with that. All right. So new Soderbergh film, new Sorkin film. And then we've got a new film from May 24. So some interesting films to come up anywhere between mid-October and what could be early next year uh, with these films coming out. Great. All right, Chris. Well, let's wrap up some new stuff and let's move on to my favorite part of the show. (laughs) I love the recommendations because normally what this does is it just adds more films to my own watch list that I will never get to. (laughs) <laughs> because of time, ah. but it's still nice to have a full watch list of films that I do want to get to at some point. Sure. So how about if, if it's okay, let me, let me start off with one. I'm pretty sure you've seen the one I'm going to recommend. Okay. Uh, you can kind of chime in on it as well. And then I want to hear your recommendation for us as well. Uh, my recommendation is a documentary that is on HBO max right now. And it is class action park. Um, this is directed by Seth Porg and Chris Charles Scott III. It is the documentary story of Action Park, a very real amusement park that used to exist uh, up north and has something of a very legendary uh, status to it in culture, mainly because the park was incredibly unsafe and people injured, even people dying Um so the film it takes a look at uh, interviewing people that both worked at Action Park, um, were guests at Action Park, and recalling their experiences there, as well as hearing some of the people who designed Action Park and the, really the owner of Action Park being someone who really pushed a lot of boundaries and would really kind of skimp on a lot of things that would make things safe in order to try to make it as exciting and as fun as possible. Chris, this documentary is not perfect. I have some real misgivings with it. I I feel like um, it's tough when people did die to kind of have a film where you find yourself chuckling at some of the uh, absurdity of the rides as I did. And I think when it, when it has the tone, the appropriate tone for just showing how completely insane this park was, it, it hit the right tone, but yet it's tough to balance that when you start to realize that, you know, there was, really, really bad injuries and even death that resulted from the park. It had a tough time balancing that tone. However, I think the subject matter is fascinating and I love watching it to really kind of help understand. I'm someone, I love theme parks. I love amusement parks. I love amusement rides, but there's always a part of me that wants to know what, what exactly is the process in going through designing and then ensuring safety on this. And it was just kind of fascinating to see that this park a lot of that was just kind of laid by the wayside and just did not really uh, – they had some different ways to kind of work around regulations and work around any kind of supervision. Um, I will say, too, you know, they, they wove in people who had, who had been at the park as guests, and those were always really interesting testimonials. Chris Gethard, who is a comedian, was one of those that they interviewed – my big misgiving is that he's 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 he takes up about half the testimony time throughout the film and he is funny but unfortunately he's part of the reason why the film does skew into more comedic tone that doesn't always match with the subject matter that we're dealing with so i wish they had not overused him as much as they did uh, that's my probably my biggest takeaway from the film that i did not like but overall i still think it's a fascinating film to see and the the footage that they had 
Uh, it's just incredible 80s throwback time period uh, to see some of this archival footage as well. So Yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree. I, I liked the film, but I did find it troubling because I felt like it had a problem balancing tone. Some is what you overuse of a guy who's a stand-up comedian is really funny, and he was actually at the park. So um, No, it was important to have him in there. I just felt like he was in there so much agreed and it was just a little overbearing agreed and if it hadn't had like you mentioned some very real life tragic things happen i'd feel completely different about it likewise although initially i appreciated it and liked it a lot it began to trouble me as the film went on for that same 10 reason the narration voiceover by john hodgman Mm -hmm. love john hodgman but with him comes a certain kind of you know humor he was on the daily show and this deadpan stuff and at first it's, it's working for me and it always works, but then it yet kind of gave me a little mixed emotions towards the end. But overall, yeah, I, I do recommend the documentary. It's kind of a, a fire festival for amusement parks. Um, yeah. It's one way to look at it. All right, great. Okay. So that is class action park are currently playing on HBO max streaming service. Chris, what have you got for us today? So um, I'm going to recommend a biopic of sorts, although I don't know if you could really call it that. I mean, it does talk about an individual's real life. Um, It's by director, the first time director, I believe Ethan Hawke, or this is one of his first films, but uh, he's normally an actor. We know him as an actor, but the movie is Blaze and it tells a reimagining of the life and times of Blaze Foley, an un- unsung songwriting legend of the Texas outlaw music movement. Um, so it, it's the reason it's kind of unusual is because they tell scenes way, way, way out of order, jumping back and forth. It can kind of be a little confusing as to what's going on. But I, I still really liked it. I had only heard one song, and I didn't even realize it was by this guy, um, Clay Pigeons. And if you've hmm. ever heard that song, Blaze Foley is the one who did it originally. Um, but I really liked that song, and then I happened to know – that's kind of how I got introduced to the documentary. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's the guy who wrote it. I really liked it. Um, the guy who plays Blaze does a really good job. Ben Dickey plays mm-hmm. Blaze Foley, and he's just – he's he's amazing. Um, so – I recommend the movie. It is kind of your non-stereotypical biopic, um, but it's definitely worth checking out, I think. So that's Blaze. It's available anywhere you rent movies, you know, Amazon Prime or any any of the normal normal places. This is not the Paul Newman movie Blaze from, I believe, the 80s, right? No, it is not. Okay, Uh, good. And it's also streaming on Netflix. Great. Just want to clarify that. Sure. All right, so Chris is recommending the Ethan Hawke-directed film Blaze. I recommended the documentary Class Action Park. Uh, Both are available online for streaming, which is kind of nice. So, again, we got to take some positives from our current situation is that we have a lot more content available to us now online on demand at any time. So that's going to wrap up our show for today. We have talked through our recommendations. We shared with you some feedback and a recap on the Foot Candle Film Festival for 2020. Uh, A little bit of news and some trailers of some upcoming projects. And, of course, we started out with our reviews of Enola Holmes and Antebellum. Uh, Chris, if anybody heard anything that I just rattled off and said, man, I disagree with these guys or I've got a bone to pick with them or I really want to tell them how right they are, any of those (laughs) reactions, how can they go about doing so? So you can send us an email at info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. We're also on Letterboxd. You can track what we're seeing 
If you are listening to the podcast and you like us, please consider giving us a star rating, write a review, share with friends and iTunes to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. We're also on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. All right. Lots of places to listen to us and find us online. Uh, again, just uh, if you're curious about what we're doing with the Foot Candle Film Festival, especially as we as submissions open up for next year, that's footcandlefilmfestival.com. And then our film society is just footcandle.org. Uh, don't go to footcandle.com. Last time I checked, that's it's not, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> okay. Go to footcandle.org is where you really need to make sure you go. <laughs> not going to go into what's on footcandle.com. Um, so with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will be back next time with some more film reviews and discussion. Uh, for Foot Candle Films, I'm Alan Jackson. Over there is Chris Fry. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. As the theaters open up, see you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.